If you have your Bible, um, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, it is going to take me some time to get there. Um, we are wrapping up this series uh, on Ecclesia, or titled Ecclesia, which is simply on the church, how the church is the assembled followers of Christ. And just like last week, um, we talked about communion up front, and then we celebrated the Lord's table together. And this morning, uh, we're going to wrap up this series, we're going to talk about baptism, and then we're going to get to baptize three individuals in this room, in which, as a church, we get to celebrate seven baptisms today as a whole, which is truly incredible, yeah. And so, um, my goal for the next few moments is to not give a quick five-minute devotional and jump in the water, but to really give the whole sermon that I've prepared because uh, I am pretty amped up and excited about this morning. It's very personal for me. So when you think of the word baptism or you hear baptism, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Who are the the people that come to your mind? Some of you have something that you envision when you hear the word baptism. You see, when we say something like this, there are really two different camps when it comes to the word baptism. There is a group of people um, in churches that would truly believe what is called a sacrament, that you have to do something or you do this action or symbol to show God that you love him, and in turn, you can have a relationship with God if you get baptized. That is really one major stance out there. There, there's another one in which our church would hold is that it is really just a symbol. It's something that reflects what is happening inside and you express it outwardly. You see, when we say baptism, all of you have something that comes into your mind. It has a lot of meaning and a weight. And so this morning, there's a lot of work that I have to do to deconstruct and say what baptism is not, and then to kind of show you what baptism is. But before, before we do that, I would like to show you two quick videos. I'm going to show you the first one, and maybe when you think of baptism, this is what you think of. Go ahead and show me the first this video. This morning, uh, we have accepted Christ as his Savior and as his Lord, and he will demonstrate his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, by willingly being baptized this morning. He's been waiting on this day a long time. <laughs> and so, Jordan, upon the profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Go, Jordan. So when, when you think of baptism, is that what you see? Does it matter? Can I jump in the water, dunk myself, bam, sealed? Does it matter how you get baptized? Does it matter who does it, what it looks like, or where it happens? I want to show you this next video, and this next video um, is, is really how I would like to start instituting baptisms here at Maranatha, but go ahead and show me this next video. <laughs> so, 
So I show those videos just to give an analogy or an illustration. Uh, For some of you, when you see baptism, what do you think? Some of you are very nervous if I'm going to baptize that way this morning. Jacob would love that, Naleb might not. But um, you, when you see it, you envision something in your mind. What is it supposed to be? Does it matter if you go under the water? Can we just, you know, get get a hose out and get the job done? Do you have to go under the water three times? Should you go forward or backward? Do you have to be an infant? What if you're, what if you're a baby? Does that, does that matter? Does God really care how the mode of baptism takes place? All these things we're going to talk about this morning and really illustrate for you. And so before we get to what baptism is, um, and, I, and I told you to be in Matthew 28, but um, I got to use a lot of cross-references here, and they'll all be on the screen. But before we get to what it is, I want to talk about what baptism is not, clearly not. Baptism is not for infants. And here's where a lot of people get um, confused or there's a misunderstanding. It says in Acts 16, referring to a lady named Lydia, after she was baptized, her and her household as well. You see, some people would take this verse and they would say, well, when someone accepts Christ, they are baptized and really their whole family line. There's a, there's a teaching out there that would say um, in the Old Testament, there would be male babies that were circumcised on the eighth day. And when they were circumcised, it was to prepare them for salvation in a sense. And so some people will take that into the New Testament and say, according to Colossians 2.12, that circumcision and baptism, really, you should baptize your babies to save them or prepare them for salvation. This is clearly not what baptism is. Because baptism in the Bible is referring to someone's individual decision that they are making. My daughter is a year and a half. You want to know what decision she can make? Not much. She knows one word, no. No. Uh, I was at a wedding two weeks ago, and it was at a church where there was this thing that was right in the center. It was like this big pillar, and it had this huge bowl. Okay, and I'm, you know, I'm not super educated on this, and I walked in with the guy, and I was like, what is that? He was like, bro, it's a baptistry. And it was like the size of this salad bowl. And I was like, no adults, huh? He was like, nope. I was like, oh, I didn't know. So it's not for infants because infants or babies cannot make that decision on their own. And for those of you who would say, as a parent, that is what we did. I grew up in that church or that culture, and that's what I believe to be best. Even though you had good intentions, you had good intentions as a parent, You really thought you were doing the best thing you could do for your kids. It was still biblically the wrong decision. And even though you can't go back, if you did baptize your infant or your baby, it really gives them no spiritual right standing with God because that was made. The second thing baptism is not is to receive the Spirit. We'll talk about this quite a bit today. It says in Acts uh, 22, there's this verse that says, be baptized for the washing away of sins or to wash away your sins. It says in Acts 19, they talked about baptism and they said, we would like to be baptized to receive the Spirit. If you'd notice, the first three verses I give are from the book of Acts. There's really, 
it's really difficult because there's a lot of misunderstanding around receiving the Spirit and baptism in the book of Acts. And what I said two weeks ago applies to this today, and this is what we talked about. Just because something took place in the book of Acts or there is a story, it doesn't necessarily mean how things should be done. You see, is, it, is the book of Acts or the actions of the apostles simply what we should do and imply, or is it, is it a story of what just took place? And we said it's, it's really both, and just because in the book of Acts someone was asking a question, it's true they asked the question, but it's not true that we should imply it. You don't receive the Spirit when you get into the water. We'll talk about when you receive the Spirit. And a lot of people would say, I would like to be baptized more every week, you know, when I go to camp, when I have an emotional high, you know, to feel the goosebumps, whatever it is, you would say, I would like to be baptized to receive the Spirit. Baptism is not receiving the Spirit. Number three, baptism is not for spiritual cleansing. This is going to take me just a minute for some of you Bible nerds. You'll enjoy this. So for those of you who are not, just try to hang on. In Matthew 3.11, it says this, and this is John the Baptist. He says, I baptized you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay. In the Old Testament, there are some rituals or ceremonies that they would do. And John the Baptist, in the early pages of the Gospels, he was baptizing a baptism of repentance. You see, Gentiles or proselytes, when they would start to follow Yahweh, they would be baptized to symbolize that they were following after Yahweh and not their own gods. It is very similar, or the way to think about it in your own mind, it's like an altar call for them. It was a baptism of repentance. It was symbolizing that they were going to follow this teaching, or Yahweh, who was the Old Testament God for them to symbolize. Now, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, he's baptizing tons of people, to prepare them, and they are saying, we are waiting for the Messiah to come. And why? I have people always ask me, in Luke and in Matthew, why does it say fire? I've seen a lot of baptisms. I ain't seen any flames yet. I ain't seen any, you know, torches, you know, we should actually do that. You know, torches behind the baptistry. Why does it say fire? What does that mean? In, In the Bible, there are sometimes depictions or images that they give. When it says fire, it's referring to the presence of God. In the Old Testament, fire was a symbol of God's unique presence. In Acts chapter 2, they spoke in tongues of what? Fire, referring to God's presence. So he is saying that they are preparing them for the Savior to come. It is not for spiritual cleansing. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, 21, I think it's the next verse, uh, referring to baptism. If it's not on there, that's totally fine. First Peter 3, 21, it says this. It says, baptism, which corresponding to this, there it is, now saves you. I remember sitting in a small group with some guys, and someone pulled this verse out and was like, now what? Baptism now saves you. Now what? Well, what kind of baptism? Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you get baptized and you come to show the symbol that you are making, 
you don't get saved from your sins because you get baptized. It's good that you took a bath. You should use soap when you take a bath. Baths are kind of crazy because you just sit in your filth. But anyway, he's saying just because you take a bath, it doesn't mean you have a good conscience before God. That does you no good. He's saying, but when you come to God and appeal for a good conscience, through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That baptism is not for spiritual cleansing. It's showing or symbolizing that you have already been cleansed spiritually. It's giving what's already taking place. We, we say this all the time. If you're new to church, um, this is a new word. It's an outward expression of an inward possession. You're just showing the world the decision you've already made. You have no right standing with God because you get baptized. That God is not more approved of you. He's not more pleased with you. He doesn't have a special spot, uh, you know, in heaven, this weird island for the people who really got baptized. It's not like when you get to the gate. You never thought of that, those islands in heaven that some people talk about. You're like, island? Um, That you come to God. It's not that when you get baptized that now he loves you. It's showing the decision you've already made. And number four, the last one, baptism is not about who dunks you. This is very much debated, but um, I want to give real quick just some illustrations because there's always questions about this. John 4 says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, referring to John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples would baptize, why did Jesus never baptize? If anyone was going to baptize someone, you would think, you would think it was going to be him. But Jesus, I'm implying some conjecture here. I'm assuming he didn't want to baptize anyone because do you imagine how important you would feel if you got baptized by Jesus? You would feel legit. You would, I would. You would feel like you have a special anointing on your life. Do you imagine people arguing about theology and you show up and be like, guys, listen, Right before he baptized me, we talked about all this, right? Right when we had the baptism class, we just, we went through all the details, right? There's a certain weight that would come with that. And so Jesus, or John specifically, found it necessary to record this. And Paul says something quite similar in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Cephas and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And he goes on to say, he says, I came to you to preach the gospel, but not to baptize anyone. Referring to preaching the gospel is more important than dunking people. I could really, really get up here and talk to you about how, um, how more spiritually aware I am because guess who baptized me? We'll talk about this in a little bit, but guess who it was? It was Pastor Butch. Yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. I mean, I just, even afterward, I kind of hovered above the ground and, you know, I just felt like this weird knowledge of the Bible just struck me right there, you know. I could, I could say all this stuff and really, it's, none of that is significant, In almost, there's only one biblical case, or two, sorry, there's two biblical cases where the person, they actually give the person's name who was doing the baptizing. 
every other time, the emphasis was not on the person who was doing the baptizing. Guess what it was on? The person's baptism. It was on them. It had very little to do with the person who was actually dunking them. And there's no spiritual weight or authority if a priest, if a pastor does the baptizing. There's no spiritual crossing over to that. And really, uh, the book of Acts, there was 3,000 baptisms in a day. 3,000. If there was 3,000, I would pass out. I'd be so amped up. And guess what? They didn't, I, I guarantee you, there was not time to argue over who's doing this. Eric, you got them? Okay, no, 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 I wanted them. I wanted them. Bruce, you got him? No, 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 I wanted them. There's none of that arguing going on. They would come forward and they would baptize them. So this is what baptism is simply not. Now we're going to shift. I'm going to give you five things of what baptism is. Now, this will seem like it contradicts, but it doesn't, and I'll try to explain why. Baptism is spiritual. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Some of you get a little uncomfortable when we talk about this, and it's, it's good. Um, I feel comfortable if you're curious. There is a phrase out there that people will say that they were baptized by the spirit. There is a, a really prominent teaching and following where people would say, you should pursue uh, the baptism of the Spirit. I heard one guy said, uh, uh, 200 times a year you should pursue the baptism of the Spirit. Wow, that is, that is significant. Um, th- there's really, it, it's out there that baptism is not just the mode or the symbol, but it's spiritual. Now, I would completely agree that there is a baptism of the Spirit. But this says there's one. That when you accept Christ as Savior, when you confess that you are a sinner, there are probably thousands of things that take place. A lot of times in church, we'll use words, and if you're new to church, you get a little confused because you'll say, did I ask Jesus into my heart? Am I a follower of Jesus? Did I get saved? Um, Was I born again? Right? We'll use these terms, and really all the terms mean the same thing. We just get kind of jammed up with them. And if you're a follower of Christ, you've been baptized by the Spirit, referring to the baptism of the Spirit. And it says in Ephesians 4 that there is one faith, one baptism. That there's not all these different kinds and ones you should pursue. It is very spiritual. It's very spiritual. You would remember when you accepted Christ, how you felt. Wasn't it emotional? Wasn't it, it was an experience. You remember feeling the weight that you were a sinner? You remember feeling the weight that Jesus died for you and rose again from the dead? You, you rem- it's, it's very impactful. It's, it's definitely spiritual. Something happens to you, and for those of you who would say it's not an experience and it's not spiritual and it's not emotional, I mean, have you experienced anything similar to that being dead in your sin and being alive in Christ. There's one baptism. And we always will use this terminology, or this phrase, that the most spiritual thing that you can do after you follow Christ is to walk in obedience. And we would say 
that the Bible supports, your first step of obedience after you follow Christ is what? Baptism. Now, when you get baptized, I tell people all the time, you're going to remember the entire day. You're going to remember the video. You're going to remember the people there. You're going to remember just how you felt. You're going to remember a lot of things taking place because it's spiritual. And you want to know why it's so spiritual? Because you're walking in obedience. And anytime you walk in obedience, it's impactful. Paul clears this up later on in Romans 8. He says, if you do not have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. That you don't need to pursue more experiences with the spirit per se, but rather you just need to realize, I need less of myself and more of the spirit that I already have. He's with me. I don't get more of him, right? I just get less of myself. When you accept Christ, you're baptized by the spirit. Number two, it is symbolic. Now, before I read these, and, and I want to give some clarity, there is no verse we can, that you can find in the Bible that says baptism is symbolic. You're not going to find it. Same thing with communion. We talked last week extensively. You're not going to find a verse that says communion is symbolic. But you have to pay attention to the language that is being used around the idea. You have to pay attention. And here's what it says in Colossians 2. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Romans 6 says this, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, of glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It gives the depiction or the language or the image of what is taking place symbolically. Now, it, whenever, I'll go over here just to, to illustrate, whenever we jump into the water and someone is baptized, okay, this is just water. There's nothing spiritual about this. I tell people every time, guess what we fill this up with? A hose. Yeah, that's it. Uh, we don't bless it. We don't pray over it. There's nothing crazy about this. You are buried with Christ in baptism, and you're raised in newness of life. Guess what doesn't happen? You don't die. That's what the verse says. When you come up, it's not like, shh, go. Right? That would be a good evangelism tool. That's what I would have done if I was God. Right? Everybody's like, what? Um, no, it's, it's symbolic. And, and really, images will depict a lot of things. These images I have here, none of them say the actual word. But when you see this, you know what it symbolizes. It's showing what this stands for. Some of you are mad why I didn't put Target on there. You ladies are like, that's the best image on the planet, right? You, you, you want to know, uh, right? It shows a picture. And really, um, I, I do this every single time. I will take my wedding ring and I'll show someone, hey, if I take this wedding ring off, does it still make me, am I still married, Okay, thank you. I was getting, I was getting nervous. We've got to switch the sermon up here. Uh, right, I, I, I'm, still, I'm still married. Guess what? We signed a document. We got pictures to prove it. Some of you were there, right? We, I mean, we have said our vows. We have said, I mean, we have, I mean, all these things take place, but guess what the wedding ring does? It shows everyone else that I am married. It shows everyone else I am committed 
the wedding ring, if, if, I, if I walked over and handed this to, to Jacob and I was like, hey, Jacob, I want you to put this wedding ring on. If he put, I'm not going to give it to you, man. Uh, if, if he put the wedding ring on, would he become married? No, yeah, you guys are smart. Uh, it's not any of that. It's not s- symbolizing that. It's showing the decision I have already made as an individual. And number three, what baptism is, is sub, uh, submersion. I'm trying to stick with my Baptist roots here with the S's. Um, and in Acts 8, we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, so I didn't want to spend a lot of the time in this passage, but I'm going to cherry pick two verses. The man says to uh, the eunuch, or the eunuch says to Philip, the guy who's sharing with him, what prevents me from being baptized? Man, I love that question. What stops me? What is holding me back from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. And Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. The other illustration is in Matthew 3.13, where Jesus came up out of the water. You see, the word baptize in the Bible truly means to dip, immerse, or to go under. That you should, it's because it's a symbol. It's symbolizing you dying with Christ and being raised from the dead. It's really the only thing that shows something to this standard. And the reason baptism is so significant for a lot of you, you're just like me. You're a hands-on visual learner. Right? It's, you come to church maybe often, maybe once a month, maybe you know, Christmas, Easter, a friend getting baptized, something. You come, and a lot of times you can't understand what's being said. It's hard to make connections. It's hard to have this long of attention span. That's why I'm a preacher, because I couldn't sit that long. Right? You, 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 you're watching, and you're listening, and you're like, it's not connecting to me. And then when we get in the water, you hear someone's story. They are buried with Christ, raised in newness of life, you can see it and you say, now I understand. Now this makes sense to me. I like to say when someone says, what prevents me from being baptized? I like to say, just water deep enough. Just water deep enough to get you down under. Now is there ever a case where this is not, I guess, it's okay to do something different? There's one time in my life where I regretted sticking my guns to this, and this is the only case in my mind I can think about. If you were here Christmas Eve, you'd remember I met this guy from Canton. They had called. I went to his house. We shared the gospel with him. He had two weeks to live. He accepted Christ as Savior. He wanted to get baptized, and I was trying all the guns I had to get this guy here to get baptized. His name was John. Some of you would remember this story. He had two weeks to live. We're trying to schedule a baptism. We're trying to get this figured out. I'm like asking if they got a tub. I'm like, you know, can we, what, I'll do a Facebook Live. I don't care. Like, let's just, let's do this. And I ended up waiting a little too long to get the details down. And he had two weeks to live. He died in one week. And his last request to his wife was, call the pastor. I would like to get baptized as an obedience to Christ. I should have just went there. Should have got the tub figured out, should have took some friends with me, and should have just got the deed done because physically he was unable to make the trip and to get it done. Now, the best illustration or story that baptism doesn't save you is you would remember the thief on the cross. He was not able to get baptized. 
and he looks to Christ, has a conversation with him, um, apparently gets saved and becomes a follower of Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? After you get baptized, after we see some fruit in your life, after you go to baptism class, better see some membership, you know, classes going on. I want to see your quiet time booklet. And then I want to see who you shared your faith. No, what's he say to him? Today. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So it's not contingent upon that. Now, this will seem like a rabbit trail, and it kind of is, but I have, we have to talk about it because it is so prevalent in our culture. What about rebaptism? What about rebaptism? What about baptizing someone again for the first or second or third or fourth time? There's one illustration in the Bible where it talks about rebaptism. And here's the story. Paul came to Ephesus and there he found some disciples. And he said to him, or to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? Again, there's confusion going on. And they said, no, we have not even heard of the Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, the baptism of repentance. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It is only necessary to be baptized again if you were baptized under the wrong assumption. You didn't know why you were getting baptized. You went for for many reasons. Now, as one of your pastors, I'll tell you, guess how many times I've been baptized? Three. I'm real spiritual. The first one I have a picture of. This is back by my parents' house. It was called White's Farm or White's Pond. Um, I believe I was six years old. Um, The only memory I have of this is probably, if you know me, I just got too amped up. Right? I saw everybody and I was like, oh, this is sweet. Right? And, And I got in line. Now, was it the pastor's fault? Gotta blame him. Was it my parents' fault? Did I not communicate the gospel back to them? Whose fault was it that I got baptized there and wasn't genuinely saved? And this is the second one. Pastor Steve, why are we wearing robes? (laughs) I have no idea. Anyway, um, is it Pastor Steve Marshall's fault? Some of you would see him and you, you remember Steve. You think Steve walked me through the gospel? Dang right he did. You think Steve communicated to me about what Christ has done and I affirm those things? Absolutely. But reflecting back, you want to know what it was? Eric LePage and I did not, did not want to go to the middle school with Nate Kursak. So we bailed. We were like, bro, let's, I mean, we skipped the service. It'll all make sense. It's perfect. Was that genuine? And then the, no, no, the answer is no. Uh, the third time I tried to get baptized when I was two in the toilet, um, tried to baptize myself, and some of you see this and you're like, that's what's wrong with Mike. This totally makes sense. I mean, you're connecting dots. So uh, go back to the verse uh, Acts 19 so you don't look at me in the toilet and take a picture of that. Here's what I'll say about rebaptism. You should get baptized again if you were first baptized and you were not a follower of Christ. You were not a follower of Christ. 
When I was 19, then I trusted Christ as my Savior when I was 18 years old. 2012, January 13th, in my room, first was realizing, oh no. It wasn't just the intellectual assent to God, but it was submission to God. I realized, and I remember for one year, I sat on my hands, because you want to know what I was scared of? Perception. I was scared of what everyone was going to think. How am I going to tell my parents? How am I going to tell my church friends? How am I going to tell you, you fill in the blank? So it was, I was 19, I was in the auditorium, and I remember sitting there with Butch, and I was in tears, and I was like, they've all seen me get baptized. What am I supposed to say? So I got in the water, and I said, guys, I acknowledged it, and I said, this time, this is for real. This is genuinely in my heart, me showing you the decision I made. I was scared to death. And I want to make this comment as well. For you parents witnessing or seeing a rebaptism of your kids, I'll speak on their behalf just because I've had so many conversations. It is not a personal attack on your character or your spiritual insight through their life. For parents, it's easy, and trust me, I'll probably, I mean, it will be hard for me if I experience that. But here's what I'll say. For you to sit there, and my parents could have said, didn't we, didn't we share the gospel with you? Yeah, more than anyone else. Didn't we pray with you? And I could say, yeah, more than, more than anyone else. Didn't we? They could have got angry with me, could have fought with me, could have said, well, you're not making us look bad, or that's the, that's the Duma name, right? Could have said any of that junk. But no, what do they say? Just as in Luke 15, we rejoice with our son who is home. It is not an attack on your character. It's not an attack on the lack of you sharing the gospel with them. You're going to see a baptism today and you're going to rejoice and see, oh my gosh, let's just rejoice of what Christ has done. It's not an attack on you. Number four, because I need to move quickly. We have two more things. Baptism is after salvation, just to be clear. And this is in Acts 8, some of the passage again. Philip opened his mouth, beginning with the scriptures. He told him the good news about Jesus. Tells him the good news after, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? The gospel is very simple. It's not complex. I mean, it is very understandable. It's that God is perfect and holy and just. You and I come into the picture and we fall short. We miss any kind of mark, any kind of standard. We can't measure up. We're not good enough. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church. It doesn't matter. You, you fill in the blank. We can't, we can't do it. And then Jesus comes. The good news about Jesus is that he loved us while we were yet sinners. He dies for you. He comes to fill the hole you can't fill. He comes to forgive you of sin that you can't forgive yourself of. He, he does all of that. He dies on the cross, rises from the dead. And then lastly, he just calls you to respond. That you would submit. It's after salvation. And then Jesus gives this command. And I couldn't stick with the S's, but it is what it is. Baptism is commanded. Jesus said this. His last Really last words to Matthew, or Matthew records, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here at this church, why do we believe baptism is just a one-time dunk or dip? Because Christ only died one time. 
once for all for the sins of those who would believe. You're buried with him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you come up raised to show the symbol that is taking place. It says in Psalm 130, verse 3, that says, if you would count our sins against us, God, who could stand? The answer is no one. No one can stand. That when you are confronted with the reality of sin and the Savior and the gospel, you don't stand, what do you do? You submit. 